Looking for a one-stop shop for all your audio and video needs? Then look no further than Always Press Record Productions. With over 100 hours of original content produced, Always Press Record Productions has an experienced staff on hand ready to assist you with all your YouTube, podcast, and music video needs. Check them out at alwayspressrecord.com. Once again, that's alwayspressrecord.com. And remember, they press record and you become the star. Welcome to the Mangrove Community. Strengthening the community one branch at a time. For more information about the community or how to volunteer, please visit mangrovecommunity.org. All right, we're back for another episode of Mangrove Community Presents Reasonable Doubt. We have uh, my man in the studio today, KG Smooth, host of uh, Magic 102's Quiet Storm. You also can catch him on 97.9 The Box, Public Access, which um, they have some changes coming soon. How you doing, man? Yeah, man. I'm good, bro. How are you? Good. I'm doing well, man. Man, it's good to be here yes, in, in your space on, on your platform. Exactly. Yeah. I thank you for coming out, man. Yeah, I no really do. So how's everything been? Been all right? Everything is good, bro. I got no complaints. Personally, things in life are, are good. Good. Now, you know, the things in the world, not so much. But right. Right. I'm good. <laughs> That's what we're facing. That's that's what we're here to talk about. But before we get started with that, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where you're from, how you came up. No doubt. Uh, KG Smooth, as he said, uh, hosts the Quiet Storm Magic 102.1 and uh, the Community Affairs Show. Uh, well, used to be called Access Houston on 97.9 of the Box. We got some changes now. Uh, it'll be called uh, Public Affairs. Public Affairs. Mm-hmm. And it'll also be a podcast as well that we're going to do. But... Um, been in radio for uh, 19 years. Got my start in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was hired um, off of my voicemail greeting. Like oh, my really? first PD <laughs> hired me uh, off my voicemail greeting. You know, back in the early 2000s, you know, we used to try to talk sexy over the intro of a song on our voicemail. Right. <laughs> and I was talking back. over um, Erica Badu's Didn't You Know? And um, how it happened, I, one of my coworkers at the clothing store I worked at, his girlfriend brought him some lunch. Um, he was like, yeah, she worked at the Wiz because he had like these CDs before they came out. And it was a real thing. They weren't the bootleg. Okay. And so she came in. I was like, yo, Ken told me you worked at the Wiz. That was a radio station in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Like radio is something I always wanted to do. Yada, yada, yada. He said, call the program director. Tell him I told you to call. Called him. We played phone tag. Um, he asked me to come in the next day for an interview. I did. Mm-hmm. I was hired on the spot. Two weeks later, I was on the air. Now, the weekend that I found out I was going to be on the air cracking the mic by myself, oh, wow. I had went to his office, and I'm like, yo, like, is this true? He was like, yeah, you ready? I was like, yeah, I guess. And so my boss and friend here in Houston, mm-hmm. we worked together at that station. She peeped her head in, and she was like, yeah, it's so funny because... Hurricane kept calling your house so we could hear your voicemail greeting. <laughs> like, listen at this kid. He's got great pipes. And I was like, what? That's why you hired me? All the while, I thought it was because of my knowledge of music. Because <laughs> he was reviewing new music and, and wanted my opinion man. on it. But, yeah, it was the voice. So, um, uh, Cincinnati was my first stop. Uh, that's where I learned everything. First full-time gig was in Cleveland. Then I was in uh, Columbus, Georgia. Then Atlanta. And now Houston. Oh, wow. So and you've I'm been around, it. huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. And was the plan to be in music, or it, it just so happened that way? Carl is so funny. I, I did think that I would be getting paid for my singing voice and not my oh, really? speaking voice. So, oh, so you, you got some singing in you, huh? Yeah, yeah. You got any albums yeah. out there lingering around? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I didn't, um, I didn't pursue it as hard as I, I was 
focused on radio. I mean, during that time, like when I would get the bug, I would, you know, write and create, yeah, right. but didn't stick with it. I wish I had though. That's what's up, man. So cool. And radio's been good to you, man. We we appreciate you in Houston. You well, thank you. Get the people in the mood at night, huh? Yeah, get the people <laughs> in the mood at night and try to keep them socially conscious. Right. You know, on Sunday morning. So you got you got to have that balance. Right. Right. You know. And then you you're real active in the community, right? Yeah. Um. I gotta say that that Access Houston has been my key to the city. That's what's up. Um. Just. A lot of access, right. <laughs> no pun intended, right. uh, everywhere. And it's good to know that my name is good in these streets, in these Houston streets. Yes, like that's what's most important and that I'm that, that I'm really proud of. So how was it coming into Houston? What it, for me it was it was cool. I knew that this was gonna be home. I mean when I came for the market visit back mm -hmm. in uh, two thousand twelve, I remember waking up that Saturday morning looking out the window of the hotel. They had me staying in the Galleria area. I was just mm -hmm. looking out and I was like, yep, this is home, this, this feels home. right. And yeah. uh, came back and you know, found my lane and here we are. Still number one at nights with the Quiet Storm. That's what's up, man. We appreciate you for all you do. So speaking of the community, I know like you say, you have access to a lot of people who have a lot going on in the community. Um, what, what do you think some of our issues are in the community nowadays, especially the black and brown community that we face from day to day. Do you have an idea where these problems mm -hmm. stem from or? The things that we still face from day to day. I mean, um, just the lack of resources, you know, to mm -hmm. just to be able to live. Right. For example, today, uh, this morning, they put me on, um, this simulation that they were doing at uh, Cy Fair, uh, Jersey Village High School, mm -hmm. and it was called COPE. Uh, it was an acronym for uh, Cost of Poverty Experience. And so basically it was them teaching these empathetic white folks how to be empathetic to these kids that, you know, they teach. And when, mm -hmm. and when I walked in, I noticed how you know, all of the black faculty and staff is running things. And when I walk into the auditorium, um, you know, to do my spiel, all the, everybody out there is white. Right. And so uh, they went through this uh, simulation where um, everybody got grouped up. We're a family and each family had its, you know, different amounts and its own situation. Gotcha. And they put on a clock and it was 15 minutes and that was your week. And so there was a list of things that you had to do. Mm -hmm. Pay the rent, go get check cash, uh, you know, groceries, like just little things that, that you had to go. Right. Some people didn't have a gas card with, you know, uh, some had like the bus pass and you had to get this stamped in order to come here. And mm -hmm. all of this, you know, folks standing in the long line to get their check. Right. And as time is running out, they're figuring like, wait, well, I ain't got enough money to pay rent. Oh, wow. And. I ain't got this. And dang, I forgot to pick up my child from school. And they like, and, and it was, Carl, it was fascinating to yeah. see these folks just, I, I saw the change in real time mm -hmm. as like, wow, how are low income families really living like this? Right. And, um, and I said to them, I was like, you just imagine, I said, unemployment is still the same. Like it, 
it's been the same for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. And and I was off on it. I was like, what is it now? Like uh, 1125, like 1475. It's like, no, it's still 725. 725. You got to be kidding me. So um, to answer your question, I think the lack of resources. And I was saying in all of that Mm -hmm. um, to say that. How have people been living off of seven dollars and 25 cents an hour Mm -hmm. when even if you are. Um, living in Section 8 housing, you still got kids, clothes, gas, groceries, you know, all of that. So I believe that the lack of resources is an everyday struggle because they just don't, they don't want to see us thrive. And the new thing, the new form of discrimination I've realized is this credit check. Oh, yeah. Because you you had to get a credit check for just about everything now. A job now. The first job. time I heard like a job, yeah. a job. What? Yep. So that that's the new discrimination. Um, that's one lack of resources. Um, I think another challenge um, that we face with and ourselves mm-hmm. um, is just more unity and keeping that black dollar circulated yeah. in the black community. I see it happening. I see it here in Houston. Uh, it's happening. Um, but we can have it happen happen on the larger scale. Absolutely. I think I was looking at some numbers and about, what, $4 billion a year gets spent on Jordan. And, you know, a lot of that comes out of our community. Um, So much more on makeup and beauty products, another billion or so. So it's like, why aren't we taking advantage of that? Because we... and to your point, because we move everything. Like, don't nothing pop if we exactly. don't make it pop. Yeah. And that's true. And and like you say, the the lack of resources, that's one of the issues. But then, like you say, it's like a two-sided battle because we fight the outside interests mm-hmm. that are impeding on our communities or taken from our communities. And then we have what's left, the results of parents having to work two or three jobs, not right. being home to be able to... Fully looking after their, their child. Children, you know what I'm saying? they're too and, busy trying to provide. And it, it gets easier and easier every day for these young adults, teenagers to get caught up in the street life. And they see that fast money. And, you know, in the beginning, they're looking at a way to help mama out, stop her from having to work three jobs and make things a little easier for her. But then they're making life harder on themselves because they get caught up in the system and but things we, like that. But we have a lot to... Uh, blame ourselves for as well. Like a lot of this stuff is on us. Yeah, Um, I totally agree. For example, the midterm election. I mean, they've got it here in this country that, you know, the presidential election is the one that we should focus Mm -hmm. on. But, you know, the president, the governor, the mayor, they don't do nothing but sign nothing. Like we need to be voting during the midterms with these congressmen and congresswomen. They are the ones that make and write the laws. Exactly. And so we don't do our part by not going to vote in the midterms. I mean, you got to, that's really where it starts. It's like um, they want the president to do what Congress does. Exactly. And it doesn't work like that. Everybody was so mad at Obama. Obama didn't do nothing for black folk. Obama didn't do this. Obama didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I know a couple of things that uh, Obama had suggested to the Democrats for black folks, but it didn't get done because, A, we didn't vote in the uh, 
2010 midterm election, mm-hmm. and that flipped the House and the Senate, and the Republicans held that throughout the rest yep. of, of that term and his second one. And it was the do-nothing Congress. They didn't do anything. So, and, uh, you know. And Obama took the heat for it. Cause and like Obama you say, took the heat. Everybody and it was looking all at Congress. That, that position. But even on the local level, you have city council. Yep that they implement ordinances and things like that. Then you have on the state level, your state reps. They're the one who introduces bills for the school systems and and other local things that go on in your city. And like you say, we're not showing up to the polls. We're not showing up. And then people— I think with with city council, the lady in District B who got the most votes, Tarsha Jackson, I think she had about 2,000 votes. Mm. And you got over 200,000 people in District B. So That's wild. That's a that's a major disadvantage out there. And speaking of which, we have early elections coming up February right. 18th through February 28th. That's right. And then we have the primary election on March 3rd. So, again, if you want to do your part, man, let's see. First, inform yourself on who's running and let's get out there and vote. I'm so glad you said that. Please inform yourself on who's out there. I um, during the on the national level, mm-hmm. um, during the Iowa caucuses, I saw um, one morning after the caucus, how, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, I, I believe he had won or he was in the lead or something. Right. So the people had went ahead and voted, and then the next day, people some people were outraged and they wanted their vote back because they didn't know that Pete Buttigieg was gay. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, listen, this is about the laziest thing I've ever. You, one of the main things that is known about this presidential candidate, and you don't know the basic thing about this man, right. the surface level stuff. Mm-hmm. So much less on uh, the issues that he is for or against that's going to either hurt or uh, destroy or help your life. All right. You don't even know the basic stuff. So, people, y- y'all got to do y'all homework. And it's public knowledge for and everybody. And it's public knowledge. Just like the bills that, you know, these people who have been in these seats as far as state reps, Congress, you can you can go online and see the bills that they've introduced, the bills that they passed. And you'll come to find out some of these people that are passing things or introducing bills that are not for you or your community at all. So, Educate yourselves. Please educate yourselves mm-hmm. in this process. It's very important. That's, these people are going to represent you. They say where the dollars go in your community mm-hmm. and things like that. And if they're not for your community or things in your community, it's not going to benefit you. So, and, and, and they're constantly trying to take away your right to even choose and vote. You know, that's why when folks say, oh, I don't vote, my vote don't count. What? Well, if your vote don't count. Why they keep making it so hard for you to vote? Yeah, exactly. Why you got to jump through all these loops to vote if your vote don't count? That is the most weakest argument that I, I keep hearing. So much so that even here in the state of Texas, they're trying to um, prevent us from choosing again with judicial judges. Mm. So all this time, it's been fine that the people vote their mm-hmm. judges. Now that those 19 black women have gotten voted into office up there in Austin. They, the the governor uh, has put forth uh, a bill, kind of like how the uh, federal government does, how uh, they appoint, you know, federal judges. Abbott wants to be able to appoint judicial judges instead of 
the voice. And I'm like, hmm, it's very interesting. Right. It's working just fine for y'all all this time. But as soon as all these black judges get in, now y'all want to. Yeah, now it's an issue. Now you want to change it. That doesn't make any sense, man. And <clears throat> it's like we can't let these people take this power away from us. And like you said, how many people died in the 60s mm-hmm. for our right to vote? So it tells you the importance of it. If you don't have a driver's license, you're, you got to face the consequences of it. Yep. But if you don't vote, there's no consequence for it. That should tell you that how important it is. They like the fact that you don't go out and vote. Because, and then that whole, my vote doesn't count. If you don't vote, you're automatically voting for that person that you're against. Right. That's how, that's how Trump got into office. Like, apathy. Apathy set in. I mean, nobody was excited about nothing. So people was like, well, I don't like neither of them. So yep, I'm, I'm not going to go vote. Yep. You know, and of course, you know, but just to add on with the extra push from, you know, Russia and all of that. But, you know, the, the discourse that they uh, caused here worked yep. because they knew that race was our Achilles heel and it totally. It, it was that divide and conquer. It, yeah. Because he appealed to the middle class, to the middle, middle America, I should say. And unfortunately enough, we still see the race, the racism that we have in this country, that this country was established on. And I take it back. I was having this conversation with my pops the other night. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what was this country actually built on? Built on? They want to say liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. But at the end of the day, there were you had the Europeans come in. They played friends with the natives until they learned how to work the land. Then once they saw how how much labor was involved in it, they went and got a whole another group of people to do the labor for them, and they beat them to do that. They kept them isolated. They didn't teach them the ways of America. They couldn't read. It was against the law for them to read and all this type of stuff. So at the end of the day, you rob, steal, and kill. In my eyes, that's what this country was built on. Oh, absolutely. And to me, it's um, it's not a coincidence that when you're at the bottom of the totem pole in this America, in this country known as America— that's what you resort to, rob, stealing, and killing. Because that's the foundation of this place. That's the foundation of the place. And the racism part is um, a birth defect. Um, to your point, it's an amazing article. Um, well, not article. It's a, an essay mm-hmm. that the New York Times had put out last year, uh, written by all black journalists, called the 19, I mean, the 1619 Project. Mm-hmm. And it talks about 400 years ago, the first slaves you know, settled on this land from Virginia. Right. And I'm like, whoa. And so I'm reading the first essay of this body of work. And she answered the question as to why I always ask myself, Mm -hmm. as bad as America treats me, she is just brutal. It's that terrible relationship that I know you're not good for me, but I love you and there's no place I'd rather be. You know, I always ask myself, why? Why, why, why? And then reading this article, she made me realize it's because we own this country. We built it. Mm-hmm. We were we were the first ones here. 1619. We were here before any white person yep. got here. So we mm-hmm. we built 
the strongest country in the world from nothing. Of course, it was off of free labor. Right. And, you know, we have this capitalistic society, but we did that. Yep. And I was like, yo, this is our country. So when they tell us to go back, go back to where? Exactly. I was here before you. <laughs> yep. My ancestors were here before you. Exactly. Because like you say, we the first slaves got here in 1619. They didn't really start sending immigrants here until the mid-1800s. Mm. So for the first 200, 250 years, it was slaves and the slave owners. So we outnumbered everybody except for the natives who were here. And like you say, we, we built the country. So like you we say, why, why you, you wouldn't want to build something, especially as beautiful as this country is, what we have built. And then just turn around and and leave it and go back to a place that we know nothing about because they stripped that from us. You know, they 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 needed us because of those skills, because of our agricultural skills, our our ability to make something out of nothing. Exactly. And it was like in my mind, it's like we one of the we one of the only cultures that know how to make something out of nothing. Um, if you look at the Europeans, they always had to be taught. Even Talk, back to we, the days we in Europe. Taught them. Yeah. We pulled them out of the caves like, <laughs> yeah. yo, it's okay. Look, stop eating each other. Right. Okay. Stop living in the house with stop your animals. It, you That's know, where the disease stop beating from. Your, Right. Mm -hmm. All of that. We taught, we came up with everything. That's why I just hope that we all just wake up. Um, I, was, I was interviewing a professor on Access Houston one time, and she was telling me how uh, when she went over to Africa, and she had, she's, been around the world, mm -hmm. how all of these kings and queens and deities and people of, you know, higher up positions in all different countries know and recognize our power. Mm -hmm. That's black Americans, right. because to them, we are the best that the world has to offer mm -hmm. because we are descendants of those slaves who made it over here, who made that long trip, mm -hmm. you know, survived through all of this. Right. And so the black American is the best that the world has to offer. Everybody else knows that we don't. That was my first time right. hearing that. Well, this, uh, in my in my research, this is just the descendants of slaves, period. Because what we have to realize is that, you know, America as a whole, now we're just talking about America, it likes to stay in this bubble. And, and think that it's different from everybody else, especially with us, with the black people in America and when it comes to slavery. But what we don't realize is there were more slaves that went to the, um, the Arab nations mm -hmm. and South American nations like Brazil. They never came to America. And Jamaica and the islands were like the hub for slavery. And that's where you went there first, and then they took you to either South America, the North America, and things like that. So, and when slavery was happening in America, it was happening all over the world. They were impeding on the entire world. You had, they were going into Africa, South Africa, things like that. So, it's not just America, black Americans who dealt with this and who have been, I guess you can say whitewashed or, or mm -hmm. brain, brainwashed by the this European or colonized by the European. It was happening simultaneously across the world, across the globe. So I think if we can pull together as a whole and identify and this the real as a knowledge. whole, right, yeah. then we'll understand what really happened. Because like you say, in Africa, we, we had all the resources and then we had Everything. the people and they split us up. 
and they took our cultures from us, our languages from us, and now we don't know who mm-hmm. we are at all. I never, um, even as a, even as a kid, I was just like, this doesn't make sense to me when they would play those. Um, you know, g- give a child, you know, something, and you would see, you know, the children over in Africa mm-hmm. with the flies mm-hmm. on their face and they all skinny. You see their rib cages and all of that. And then just going through our high school, college, and it's just like you're still seeing that. It's like, well, wait a minute. Africa is the motherland. Like all of the world's materials, minerals, mm-hmm. all of that is there. How there's no way it could be this that continent can be right. as poor as they want us to think that it is. And then as you get older and you educate yourself more and you, you find out. It's not. At all. <laughs> it's outside I mean, of America. Has its pockets. And yeah. like, I mean, there's bad places in, in Houston. So you're going to have that right. everywhere. And that's just seeing, that's what they want to glorify in those nations. I, I believe is to prevent us from going back and seeing mm-hmm. where we're really from. I don't think they want that. They, they don't want black Americans or melanated people who are descendants of slaves and people from Africa, uh, African nations Mm -hmm. that are coming over here to link up. That's why they feed them that propaganda to not mess with us because they're afraid of that power, Carl. You already know what it is. These white folks are afraid. (laughs) These black folks, they get in the power. They know, you know, their strength. They going to do to us what we did to them. I believe that that's. But at the end of the day, that's not who we are at our heart. so isn't speak on it. We're not gonna do it. Because when we were in power from the beginning, that's what we did. We went from place to place spreading our knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we may have been in China and they have or India and they have some spices and things like that we never knew about. So it's like, hmm, we gave you our knowledge. Let's get some of those spices, you know? Let us get some of that linen, you know, and we traded. We traded our knowledge and wisdom for things that people had in their in their areas and we brought it back. It was never divide and conquer with it. Right. But once we, we went and gave those Europeans that knowledge, they sat on it for about 700 years, and then they came back with a vengeance to conquer the world. Yeah, you know? this whole thing called whiteness is all made up. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I just wish people, that's what we need to start looking at. We do Black History Month in February. I think we really need to take a hard look at what you call white history or European history or really wherever they came from because they really originated in in Russia, Syria, oh, yeah, the, 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 places the, like the, that. The mountains of the, something, the, the Caucasus, Caucasus Mountains. mountains. Yeah. Yeah. See, they came, what happened when they used to come down from Russia, Syria, places like that, they had to cross over the Caucasus Mountains. So they became Caucasians. So people started to call them Caucasians. But what we don't realize is before they went west into the Middle East and Northern Africa, they went east first into China. What you think that wall for in China? Hmm. That wall was to keep them, keep people them out. out. And once they got into China, that's when they discovered gunpowder. That's when they created the first gun. And that's how they conquered the world. Because everybody else was warriors. We was fighting with spears and bows and right. things like that. But so we, leave it up to the weakest one to come up with a weapon because he's not built to physically fight. Yep. And that's, <laughs> it, to this day, what is America? To this day. They have the best military. They try to stop everybody else from making powerful weapons so they can help so they can and help. stay in control. To this day. And that's just something we that's have to wild. look at, man. And there's so many people that are blind to the facts. And it's and I love like what you said today, the experience you had. It was called you said Coke. Coke. It was uh, uh, the cost of poverty experience. 
And I think we need to have more things like that because we open up our eyes. We open up people's eyes when they realize what we deal mm-hmm. with day to day. And you don't, you know, as a, as a white American or European American, you don't realize that you didn't have the same pushback that we had, the same right. um, disadvantage that we had. All of know? that. They had a 400-year head start. For yeah. example, like knowledge when it comes to <laughs> black and white folks. We will take our child's name, social security number, mm-hmm. and create a new account on something, be right. it a new electric bill, because mm-hmm. the other one is, you know, you can't open up the other one. Um, you know, it, anything, electric bill, cell phone, whatever, right, you, right. you know how it go. And then that child gets older and can't do nothing. Like, what? Wait, when did I have cable? In <laughs> they 95? Yeah. I was born in 92. <laughs> you know? Man. But we take our child's name and social security number and mess up their credit. Mm-hmm. White folks take their child's name and put it on an authorized uh, a credit card. So user. their credit could be good when they start that process. Yep. Like, we got to totally... like. All of these little small little things to to hold us back, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 working. Yeah, it's like we dig ourselves deeper and deeper in these holes. Once we once we, it's like we gain the wrong knowledge, man. Because I I found it out when I was in high school. There was a girl I was dating, and one day she was like, "Yeah, I just put it on my credit card." I'm like, "How you have a credit card? You're not even 18 yet." Oh, it's my mom. She put me on as an authorized user, and I'm like, "You can do that?" She's like, "Yeah." And my credit will be good by the time I'm 18. Right, because I bet at that time she she probably had a nice 600. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that 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 was just eye-opening to me. I had never heard anything. Like you say, I'm used to the world where, hey, I have a light bill in my name or a cable bill, but right. not a credit card. So. Yeah, we got we to gotta re—we just got to rethink or retrain ourselves how we treat money. Right. Period. Like, we— we got to respect the money. I, on, on Access Houston, whenever I had like a financial person on, mm-hmm. I would always ask them, um, where does the responsibility, where do you feel that the responsibility lies when it comes to financial literacy and education at school or at home? Because I remember in school, like they taught us what a bank account was, mm-hmm. you know, how to balance a checkbook, but nobody said anything about credit when you were a kid. And I don't know, back in the day, uh, um, if your parents are separating the bill, paying the bills at the kitchen table, like, you know, they not inviting you over like, here, son, right. let me show you this. Or if you go over there, uh, child, stay in the child's place. Right. You know, <laughs> there's that. And so I was like, where do you feel the responsibility lies? A lot of them said, like, yeah, at home, uh, everything should start at home. Mm-hmm. But the education system can do yes, something more. Yeah, to educate these kids more, especially on credit, like how that will mess up your life. Mm-hmm. It can make or break you. And I didn't know anything about that. Here I am, 18-year-old kid, walking on the yard of the University of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. These tables set up like, hey, would you like a t-shirt or a stuffed animal? Okay, sure. Uh, here, just sign this. Uh, all right. Ten days later, there's a credit card okay. in the mail. Showing up in the mail. Didn't know anything about it. I was like, okay, it's $500. I need this book mm-hmm. and I can buy a uh, Probably one outfit and a CD and be done. Did that. Just paying the minimum, not knowing better, like Mm -hmm. just making the minimum 
payments and that's just not enough and just, you know, yeah. messes you up if you don't learn. So we got to. We got a lot of retraining to do, bro. Definitely got to teach this at home. Like you say, sit down with the children when it's time to pay bills and, and let them know how it's really done. It's and, done, yeah. And what the money is for. Like, um, and even, you know, cultivating their minds. I I think I'm blessed. My children, every day, they surprise me every day. Like yesterday, or no, it was Sunday. I had them come out and watch the car with me. My daughter's seven, my son's five. And my daughter's like, hey, dad. Why don't we just um watch everybody's car? I'm like, yeah, that's a business, Carson. We right. we have to charge people for that. She's like, yeah, and then everybody in the neighborhood, they wouldn't have to go anywhere. They can just come here and get their car washed. And it's like, instead of telling her, no, that's a bad idea, I'm like, yeah, that's a business idea. It's a great idea. Right. But make sure you charge them and get your money for it. And hey, we should we should empower our children with things like that, you know. Um, my children wanted to do a lemonade stand, and we got with some friends friends of ours, and we set it up in their neighborhood. They ended up making $400 in one day. Nice. Yeah, and I just think we don't empower our children like yeah. that. No. My youngest brother is doing that with my niece. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in the ice cream and been making it, and okay. so he bought her um uh, ice cream stand, one of them joints that you push with mm -hmm. the, the wheel, got the fridge right there, the umbrella, everything. So she's going. Yeah, she about to, I was like, okay, you're going to make a killing this summer. Right, yep. That's what's up, man. But yeah, we definitely have the financial literacy. Um, and I guess, what is that where our focus should be with our children? Because I know, I think it was yes. Malcolm X who said, it's easier to train up a child than it is to change the mind of a grown man. That is, I believe, yeah. So I subscribe to that. <laughs> definitely have to start with the younger generations and just teach them and because when you instill it young, way. like it, it'll stay with you. For example, for me personally, mm -hmm. I was fourteen. I heard Oprah say, "If I see something in the store and I can't go in and buy it right out mm -hmm. and own it, then I can't afford it." Right. And for some reason that just stuck with me. And so I had never, you know, made payments on anything. If I wanted it, I right. bought it full out. No installments, no financing. I had a friend of mine who brought that. But now that I'm older, now that I know that the financing can help with that credit score, with that FICO <laughs> right. score, you, you know. It go hand in hand. But like you say, you have to be responsible with it. Mm -hmm. and, like, and educated on it. Yeah. In order to do it right. As a buddy of mine, he said, if I don't have double in my pocket, then I can't afford it. So mm -hmm. if something costs five hundred, if I don't have a thousand dollars in my pocket, then I can't afford it because I'm not gonna go broke on buying one particular item. So that's something that stuck with me, and I try to I try to use that when it goes when it's time to make big purchases and things like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, no, no, I, sometimes I'm just like, yo, I've been doing good. And I want to treat myself. Yeah, like you, you know, yourself. I found out I was number one again for the month of January. So I uh, <laughs> in radio? Saturday, yeah, okay. So Saturday, I went and bought me a new TV. That's it was it was it was a great deal. <laughs> so it, it was a deal up, that huh? I could not pass it up. A seventy inch Samsung for five seventy nine. Oh no, you couldn't pass it. It was up, like six twenty with tax. I was like, "What the what? Come on!" Now yeah. I got this big seventy inch like. All-Star game was looking real nice last night. <laughs> I bet it was. <laughs> nah, but, um, and see, my uncle, that's something he told me. He taught me that when I was coming of age as a young adult. He said, always pay yourself first. Because yeah. you work hard. He said, even if it's $5, pay yourself first. And then you want to take care. Of course, 
That's why I say even if it's five dollars, because you want to make sure you're taking care of your bills your and bills finances. And but always make sure you give yourself yep, something. Yeah, I do that. Um, with since I'm in radio, so like I'll have my you know regular salary check and then whatever endorsements or remotes I have, like mm -hmm. that's on a separate check. So I set it up with uh, direct deposit to take out a hundred dollars and put it in savings on each thing gotcha. that I have. That's my way of paying myself. That's what's up. And then I know. Um, when we started off, you talked about the lack of resources in the community. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the representatives who are currently representing a lot of these low-income communities that have the ability and the power to put the resources in the community, but they're, I feel like they're doing other things or putting the resources elsewhere, really lining their pockets with it as well? Mm. Um, well, first, we need to see what's up. Yeah, and I we, just, I give you an example. An investigation needs to go down. We could take Greens Point where we're at right now. Yeah. Um, we've had um, Sheila Jackson Lee. She's been a U.S. Congress for District 18 for like the past 25 years. Some, yeah. And not trying to take anything from her. I'm just stating what I see, what I experience in my community. I've been here over 30 years. And I haven't seen it get any better. Uh, so it's like when it's time to to vote, which she's up for election re-election this year, I'm questioning what have you done for our community, you know? Um, even we can take the mayor, for example, the city council of District D. We have an Amazon in Greens Point. They're um, finishing up on a Coca-Cola plant here in Greens Point. I don't feel like any deals were made to benefit the community, which from my understanding, that's what government does. They say, okay, Amazon, you want to come in right. to this particular area? Well, we want you to put a civic right. center in, or we want you to add to this park or this, mm -hmm. that, or that. And I don't see any of that happening in our communities. We need to take a trip on down to City Hall. To City Hall. And see what's up, because, I mean, you're right. If especially the people that are living here, if these folks have been in these seats for however many years mm -hmm. and nothing is done, uh, something needs to be found out right. as to why. I mean, there's no reason why that should even be right. going down. What's the, um, what grocery store y'all got up here? We don't. It's a food uh, desert. Food desert, see, issue. Yeah, this that's, actually, that's where we're at right now used to be a Kroger's. And it's been shut down for at least ten years now. This was the this was the grocery store for the Greens Point area, but it's been shut down for over ten years now. And so where do people got to go? You have to go um, down the street to Walmart, which is like three oh, or four West Road. West Road. Um, then I think the next closest will be the Food Town off of like Rankin and Veterans. That's that's wild. That's wild. Yeah. I, I was expressing this because, you know, Third Ward, they just got that H-E-B right. right there at 28 in North McGregor. And mm -hmm. I was reading how that is the <laughs> the first grocery store there in 30 years. Yep. I said, 30 years? Where did where did y'all go? To Fiesta on San Jacinto? Like, did y'all have to go to the Walmart uh, uh, in Ireland? Like, mm -hmm. 30 years, that blew me away. Yep. And then and you, you, we got the same issue up here. Yep. Got to find out what's... And it's all across District B, though, because so uh, District B consists Who got elected of, in that? I, I I don't remember. Who won that runoff? Well, it, it, nobody's—that's the one that got held up 
because you had somebody who the second place runner, Cynthia Bailey, mm-hmm. she had a felony on her record. And then the person who came in third place, Renee Jefferson Smith, she took it to court. So the I think they just settled on it maybe two weeks ago and said Cynthia, Cynthia Bailey can run. So they're having a special election May 2nd. So right now, Jerry Davis is still in that seat, but he's running for state rep. So mm-hmm. I'm like, how much of your attention, attention and time is, is, is really on focused on District B? You know, so that's what we're that's what we're dealing with in District B. And to take it another to take it a step back, how did that happen in the first place? You know, I always tell people it, it doesn't cost anything to pay attention, right. and the city of Houston didn't pay attention to who was running. You know what the legalities are behind a person who has a felon or had a felon to hold office. So now you have the people who voted and their votes are hung up in the court once again. Mm -hmm. And this happened a few years ago with Proposition B. Mm. Proposition B was on the ballot. And after everyone voted for Proposition B, it got hung up in the court system and actually was found to be unconstitutional. So how does this stuff even get this far without anybody vetting it to make sure that the people voices doesn't get choked up in the legal system. <laughs> to me, one of two things. One, just lazy and do not care. Mm-hmm. Or two, it's about that money and they getting some money from some, like you said, they're lining their own pockets. Yeah. With some stuff. And that's what I see. Because really, that with the whole District B issue that's going on right now, the legalities around it are handled at the state level. And the state rep for these particular areas, Jarvis Johnson, this has come up in Austin with a felon, whether or not a felon can hold seat is come up in Galveston. So if it's come up in the past, I feel like the legislate, legislation should have been passed or looked at to define what it means for if a felon can be in office or not. Because what it all came down to is verbiage. Mm-hmm. They couldn't, the verbiage wasn't clear in the law. So that's why it had to be taken to court to be interpreted even further. So at this particular time, they said she can hold seats, she can run. Um, basically what it was saying is um, you either had to be pardoned or released, um, man, what was the term? It was a certain term that everyone was getting caught up on, and that's what wasn't clear, and that's why it ended up in the courts. And it's been like, this has been an issue that's come up in the state of Texas for the last couple of years, so why hasn't it been settled? It, it took this. Now, I know the next state rep that gets in, or Jarvis Johnson, he's already talking about, you know, making sure the language is clear going forward, but this is something that should have been done. And I feel like a lot of our representatives are just dropping the balls in our area. Again, you have Coca-Cola, Amazon, HD. Why wasn't a grocery store negotiated for the Greenspoint area? Even on the northeast side, which is still District B, Trinity Garden, Cashmere Garden, Fifth Ward, that's all District B. You have portions of Acres Home. None of these places have grocery stores. They're all food deserts. I think on the outskirts of Acres Home, they just got a Joe V's, but that's still, right. for the people in the heart of Acres Home, that's the, that's a long ways away. And we have food that's all across this district. And that, I, that's, they could at least put, ain't it, that's not even the Aldi's up here? Nope, not even the Aldi's. We, we have to go to places like Family Dollar and things like that, where they don't even have any fresh produce. And it's funny, um, and I really, 
while we speaking on it, man, I need the community to get behind me because yeah, March third, I actually I've able I've I've been able to get city council's ear. There's some new people in office. Okay, that you know, as we've been doing this particular podcast, it started out making ourselves aware of who the politicians are running for these areas. And now that they, some of them have taken office, I reached out and let them know, like, look, we want to talk about a community garden in this area. Let's start there. So at least we can start getting fresh produce and right. things like that. And then eventually we can start talking about, you know, um, grocery stores and things like that. But I want to wait until we get a city council person in place. In order but to I feel full, like, yeah, full, um, at least we can start in. with a community garden. Buy some land. We could let the people... Um, work the land and the gardens, and we can have fresh produce at the least in these areas. So, well, that's good that you got the ear. Maybe you know, gather up some more folks from this area to go right, down and right. rally with you. Yeah, because I, I mean, I went to a lot of the businesses around here because it was a piece of land I was looking at, and I went to a lot of those businesses, got them to sign off on it. They said they would love to have a community garden out here. So we got the businesses behind us, been talking to a lot of people in the community. Now, like you say, it's just that unity that you talked about actually coming together and going down and speaking on it as as one and not just have one person speaking on it. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what we got to do, though, man. We have to have the voices, but it has to be people standing beside the people with the voices. And that's why I appreciate everything you do. Um, you know, you allow myself and a couple of others on Access Houston to speak about the things that are going on in our community, and hopefully our voices are being heard. Now it's just getting the actual community, community to come together involved. and stand with us. Yeah, yeah. I think when you, um, I think when you put it into terms as to where people can really understand and relate, like when you get down to their level mm-hmm. and and speak it on their level it'll click and they'll they'll rise up. Yeah, because this is the one thing I don't understand. I don't know if you're aware of this. Uh, about two streets over, we have the nation's number one bike park where they have a whole BMX set up and everything. It's, um, I think it's sponsored by Red Bull. Oh, wow. Or, no, Rockstar Energy Drinks. Okay. Um, and then right across from that, we have the number one skate park in the nation in Greenspoint. And like I tell people, I'm all for beautification. I'm all for bringing things to our area. But in all honesty, we don't do the BMX. We don't do the skateboard thing. So who did you build that for? And, you know, I've been talking to people and I see gentrification is coming to Greenspoint. Yeah. How old is it? Um, The skate park is maybe five to six years Mm, old. They they planted the seed. Yeah. The bike park just opened up this year. I feel you. And I think you're last uh, year. I think your spidey senses is right. right. Gentrification is coming in. And you... <laughs> and listen, they build some condos off of um, the Beltway okay. and They're building Imperial condos. That and is, there, um, is there a Whole Foods? Not yeah. yet. Not yet, but I can that's see when you. That's when you know it's when real. The Whole Foods. When the Whole Foods yeah. uh, come and start being built, that's when you know gentrification is definitely here. And then that's where their unity comes in again because I'm... Man, I'm trying to talk to my people and let them know if you're looking to establish a brick and mortar business, Greens Point is the place to do it right now. Even though you may not see it right now, in the next five to ten years, everybody's gonna you're gonna be mad if you didn't open a business in Greens Point. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a restaurant, whatever it may be. That's positive. You see the future. You see it. Yeah, because they're gonna try to change this entire area. I mean, 
they have an agreement with the apartment complexes right now to they're going to start knocking on doors. If anybody lives there that's not on the lease, they're kicking the entire family out. And then for the apartment complexes that don't want to get on board with doing that, they're going to fine them and and with all type of fines for not, you know, keeping up the property and things like that. So it's either you're going to roll or get rolled over. And then the community's not, not even they find out. Um, when that start happening, folks, I need y'all to see what the squatter's law is mm-hmm. here in Texas or in Harris County. Because <laughs> that's a loophole out. <laughs> Definitely got to do our due diligence, man. But, um, man, it's a lot of work to be done. Definitely a lot of work to be done. You yeah. Know? We yeah. have to, and like you say, it's that coming together because Third Ward, they were able to get ahead of it to where they were not the change as far as being pushed out and new people coming in. They were a part of the change. Mm-hmm. They got to say what places came in and what mm-hmm. places couldn't, and, and they were very involved in the gentrification that's going on. Yeah, especially that other, especially uh, greater Third Ward uh, because— Midtown, mm-hmm. as it's known, you know, everybody down there, like, Third Ward. Right. I was like, what? I was like, oh, Midtown is really Third Ward? I was like, yeah. I said, <laughs> oh, gentrification. Yeah, yeah. It was a guy who told me um, there, was a, there was a guy that tried to sell him an auto mechanic shop at that time for about $30,000, but he couldn't sell it. But when that major, that last wave came through, he sold that shop for like a million bucks. Mm. Wow. Because they wanted that land in Midtown. So that's the type of things that that can happen that, you know, we can take advantage of just by starting to buy up the land in these areas and things like that. The northeast side is coming to that side of town, too. See, what they do, just like the northeast side of town, they they were hit hard by Hurricane Harvey. Mm -hmm. And the funding didn't come through to those areas. Like, I was on a show with this guy, uh, Hispanic guy. And he lived on the west side of town. He was affected by Harvey. And I think I was on it like a couple of months ago. He was like, yeah, I'm still living off of my Harvey money. I'm like, wow. And then you got these people on the northeast side. They got $500 from FEMA, $500, $400 from Red Cross. And that's all they got. And they were forced to rebuild on their mm-hmm. own. And a lot mm-hmm. of them haven't. So you had the people who now they, they came through as organizations to help. Oh, yeah, and then but they ended up being fraud. or That too. But now they're coming back as um, LLCs that's buying up these homes, mm, rebuilding these homes. That's shady. <laughs> For those who didn't, um, you know, the city had finally got uh, the Harvey money uh, January of last year. And that was the fourth wave. <laughs> they finally had got that federal money. So that money... Th- that money is still there. Yeah. So if people haven't, like, if you still got old receipts or even things that you have fixed yourself, like, it's a two-step process. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to go, sign up, do do some little paperwork, and then you'll get something saying, like, okay, you are good, fill this out, and then it goes on. But, yeah, the money is is still there. It It's a tedious process, but if you want the money— you're going to do your due diligence. And that's the part that the community has to play with, being adamant, being relentless with going after that money. Because I know my wife, her college friend, 
the same. She went through the process. She pushed it all the way to the end. At first, they gave her that five hundred dollar check, and she was like, "I can't." Her car got completely flooded out. It was yeah, a new what car. Do with this? She was like, "I can't do anything with this." So she kept applying, kept applying, kept applying. So finally, they gave her more than what her car was worth. But it's like that's what we have to do. I don't understand why, but that's what we have to do to go after that money. Now, another thing, like I was telling you back with the representation. I have connects in the city and things like that, people I speak with that, that keep me aware of what's going on. So I get word that the city had a meeting about the Harvey funds because they're basically treating it like no one's applying for it, so everyone's taken care of. I wasn't made aware of this meeting. The person I know who's a liaison to the community, to the various communities throughout District B, she said, I found out about it when I was in a meeting that same day that the meeting was going on, and that's when I found out about it. Because I called, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Why, why you didn't let me know about this meeting? So I didn't find out about it till the day of. And then a person who actually was in the meeting, you had contractors in that meeting, um, uh, city workers and things like that. But the actual community was not in the meetings to say what we wanted to do with the hurricane funds that were left so, over. So what are they doing? What do they do with it? I mean, basically, they use it, they're using it for the gentrification process. Mm -hmm. So basically, they're saying that the funds aren't there, so they'll give the money to these contractors who are going to go buy up these homes, rebuild them, and resell them. <sighs> it's called, re what they do, they disinvest to reinvest. They let the area, this gentrification at its finest, they let the area go down, and then once it goes down to where the land and the home dirt cheap, then they, they come and buy it up. Yep. And they let these storms and things like this push people, continue to push people out. These people in some of these communities were still rebuilding for Allison. I don't, you say you got here in 12. Yeah. Allison happened in, I think, 2001. Hmm. That was one of those. And that was just a tropical depression that right. it went to Dallas, came back to Houston, and it did it three times. So you had people in these communities that were still. Trying to, trying to recover from, from that. Allison, which was over 20, almost 20 right. years ago. And then you got Harvey that happened in 17. Yep. And then people still recovering from Harvey mm -hmm. was affected by Amelda last year. Yep. And, that's, and they're slowly moving out of these homes. And you're seeing these contractors buy them up and they're reselling them, renting them Why back don't out. They, one of the things that I had wondered with since I had been in Houston and every year we had a major flood, 13, 14, 15, mm -hmm. nothing happened in 16, 17 was Harvey, um, and then Amelda in 19. And I'm like, did they not care about zoning when they were building all of this new stuff up because mm -hmm. they're covering up all of the wetlands and mm -hmm. the wetlands, the Lord designed them to soak up all of the water yep. that may come. And so I was just like, what? I was like, well, it's nothing but greed. Greed. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Because that's what I'm starting to call gentrification, greedification, man. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, you put us here. Like, 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 let's think about this, okay? They put us in the inner city, in these boxes. Nothing. Been here decades. And then one day they just wake up and decide, oh, I want to go back in the inner city mm -hmm. and make it right. And then they come and then they move us out yep. in the burbs where they moved out to get away from us in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now they want to come back and moving us out. And it's just like, well, make up your mind. Yep. 
And you you playing with people's lives, man. It's like that's it's just so how heartless people can be, if you ask me. And you can use again, we come back to Greens Point for an example. Greens Point was established in seventy six, I think is when they started building Greens Point Mall. Mm-hmm. That was the epicenter of Greens Point. Now, Friendswood Development Company was a subsidiary of Exxon. So at the end of the day, Exxon had everything to do with the development of this area. But by the mid-80s, the oil market took a took mm-hmm. a dip. Mm-hmm. Exxon laid off almost half of its staff, and they pulled out development in this area. But then you had the other developers that came in and still saw the potential and things like that, and they continued to build. Now, Exxon had a full-scale plan where they were going to keep up with the infrastructure and the bayous and okay. things like that. But when they pulled out and the the new developers came in, they didn't consider the bayous and keeping up with the infrastructure. So now that's why you see this was an area, I don't know if you remember where the people were in the the refrigerator floating down the street on air mattresses floating down the street. Mm -hmm. That's because they continue to build and they don't do anything with our bayous. Mm -hmm. Just like they put a six million. This is another thing going on in District B. And every one of the communities, low-income communities, you see signs, $6.1 million bike trail. But they're building these bike trails along the bayou, again, not keeping up with the infrastructure. So Speechless. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's we got a lot to deal with. We, gotta, we have to get the right representatives into office. And then we also have to come together ourselves and decide what we want. What we want, yeah. And go after it. And the youth is going to be the ones to do that, and, for real, for real. Yeah, and it's, uh, I guess it's up to people like you and myself to continue to instill it in the youth, man. Yeah, man. But yeah. As much as we can. But, man, KG, I appreciate you for coming on, man. man. Girl, thanks for having me on, bro. Great conversation, it's man. Us, it's always man. great talking to you, man. Indeed, man. So besides the quiet storm on 102 and uh, now public affairs on 97.9, yeah. where else can we catch you in the city? Um Catch me, you can follow me on Instagram at KG Smooth. Uh, I have a podcast myself called Conversations with KG, the podcast, available on all uh, major platforms, you know, the Spotify's, the iTunes, the the iHearts, the, all of them, all of them, SoundCloud, all of them. Cool. So, yeah, uh, check me out there. All right. Any, any events or anything coming up? Um, I am hosting um, the iconic event featuring the Iconic Awards. That's um, Iconic Television, okay. uh, 15.10 on uh, the local antenna uh, station. Right. You know, it's a um, television station, black-owned. Yeah. Right. I'm, I had a chance to meet her at the um, MLK Day Parade. Yeah, uh, so on the 22nd is uh, that station's second anniversary. Cool, man. And so I'll be uh, emceeing that on uh, the 22nd at the Buffalo Soldiers Museum. Cool. Well, again, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. Anytime. Keep doing what you're doing. All right, y'all. We out. Many blessings. Again, it's always it, find your purpose today. Live in your purpose. And again, it's time for us to come together as one, decide what we want, and go after it. Blessings.